Johnny and I went to the Southern Baptist Convention in Florida. And my favorite thing at the whole deal was by a guy whose name was Charles Lowry. And he had a great sense of humor. He made good points, but he was so funny. It was so good that I bought the tapes for the entire convention in order to get his one tape. And, and then I, I copied it. And I have in my records, this is how long ago, that I used it for Tuesday Bible study in the year 2002. 16 years ago. So if you remember it, would you forgive me for repeating myself? If you remember it after all those years, I want to talk with you. That's amazing. And today we're meeting Abigail and Laban, which is the perfect example of a really wonderful marriage, right? Abigail was married to this man whose very name meant fool. I don't know how his parents came up with that. He was rich. He was selfish. He was mean. He was a drunkard. He treated his wife like a servant. I've heard women say, my husband treats me like I'm a servant. In Abigail's day, she had no option except to stay with him. Today, women have an option. As a matter of fact, one guy asked his wife what she wanted for Christmas, and she said, a divorce. And he said, I wasn't planning on spending that much. <laughs> God's plan is for one man, one woman for life, and it's not always easy, and we all have to accept that. Did you ever get to thinking that you married the wrong person? And do not raise your hand. One man told his psychiatrist, you know, I married the wrong person. I married the wrong woman. That's what I've done. And the psychiatrist said, that's okay. We all did. We all married that guy that looked good and smelled good and listened to everything that we said. It was great. Cared about your every whim. And then about two months into that marriage, you realized, well, you know what? He's not perfect. He's a real person. And a few years down the road, after several years of marriage, you can attest that he scratches and snores and falls asleep in the easy chair and not exactly the same guy that you married, right? But then there have been some changes in you, too. Hmm? What are you going to do? Are you going to accept them as a gift from God, or are you going to start comparing them to the one your neighbor got? Because sometimes the grass looks greener over there. Maybe you'll think you'll fix him. That's a good thing to do. But the truth is, if you're going to straighten a person out, become an undertaker. Because that's the only one that can straighten a person out and keep him straight. Only way it's going to last. So we need to look at relationships in the light of what God wants for our life. You know, he says little children. And he needs to treat us as children when he says this. Love one another for love is of God. Nabal was mean-spirited. Abigail was the opposite of that. It had to be hard for her. But she had relationship with her servants. Did you figure that out? They trusted her. They loved her. Nabal lived with strife between him and his fellow man. And Abigail was a peacemaker. And I think in the middle of that muddle of a mess of a marriage, she made a nest of peace that the servants could come to and where she also could rest. How in the world did she do that? How did she do that? Well, what does having God in your life do to your relationships? Let's see. The Bible said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those that are pure in heart. Remember that? Blessed are those who are lowly in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. All these things are qualities that make us a good friend, make us a good wife. Listen again to these words and see if it's you. Peacemaker, merciful pure in heart, 
lowly in spirit, righteous. I want a friend like that. I do. You know what? I want to be like that even more. And I want to be a wife like that. Don't you? So how's it going for you? We have to work to find these characteristics. Relationships just take work. That's all there is to it. And a lot of people don't think that they have to. You know, they just let them evolve. People need love and understanding most when they least deserve it. Nabal was that kind of man. He was undeserving. But Abigail was God's kind of woman. She stayed steady and kind in a relationship that could have made her very bitter. How can you make a relationship good? Now, maybe I'm talking mostly about marriages, but I want you to realize that this applies to your sister-in-law, too. It applies to your little child. It applies to your grown-up child, which might be a mite harder, to your friends. You want to please God. Well, Charles Lowry came up with suggestions that would keep us a bit like Abigail in a position for God's blessing to come upon us, even though our life is very, very hard. He called it listen, L-I-S-T-E-N, and he built an acrostic. You know how that works? With each letter to tell us how to treat each other if we're living as a woman that is God-inspired with that depth of love. So let's go with it. Let's see. Let's see how we do. L. Look into their eyes. Now, stop and look. Eye contact is very, very important. Men think that they can listen behind a newspaper or with that remote control in their hand. They think they can listen that way, and women are never going to accept that they're listening when there's a newspaper between you. But you know what? Women do the same thing. We're in the kitchen. We just do it in a different way. We get all involved in what we're doing. We forget to listen. The little girl was tugging on her mama's pants, and she said, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. And, and the mother was frying chicken, and she said, What is it, honey? I'm listening. And she said, Mommy, Mommy. She said, Yes, honey, I'm listening. Go ahead. And the little girl said, I want you to listen with your eyes. And that was a very smart little girl because Mama wasn't listening. Mama was frying chicken. Stop. Stop and listen. Listen with your heart. I am listen. Inquire. It lets somebody know that what they're going through matters to you. Talk to them. Say, well, tell me more. What's going on? You know, mostly that's all you have to say to a woman. She'll tell you more. Men are more closed and really have to trust you. Uh, side note, by the way, girls, when you tell your husband more, make it a pamphlet, not a novel, because they will quit listening. They will. But inquire, and when you ask, how are you, don't we say that, how are you, fine, how are you, fine, thank you, and you go on, uh-uh, say, how are you, and stop, really mean it, and be prepared to spend some time to listen. How about the S? Stop interrupting. <clears throat> now, men interrupt because they think, I'll give their answer right now, I already know what it is, and we'll get this conversation behind us. Wrong. We don't want an answer. We want somebody to listen to us. I don't think Nabal would have given Abigail two minutes. Interrupting shows a lack of respect, and it says, I don't want to hear it. Men interrupt in order to shorten a conversation. Now, women will interrupt to correct. You know what I'm talking about? No, honey, it wasn't Thursday. It was Friday. Yeah? No, it wasn't McDonald's. We were at Hardee's. Oh, my goodness, don't interrupt him. He, he isn't lying. God's not going to hold him responsible if he says the wrong day. Respect is what they need. 
How about the two? Tell them what they said and ask them if it's right. Get things straightened out between us. You can be a sounding board for that friend that has a problem. One, when they come in and load on you, listen until they finish and then restate. Say, for instance, so you feel so strongly that he doesn't love you that you really want to walk away from your family? And sometimes hearing what you say spoken back to them, they'll stop and they'll reanalyze. Is that really what I want? Restating will fix misunderstandings. When, when your husband says something that you get angry about, instead of lashing out at him, say, honey, what you're saying, do you really mean? And state it to him. And, and let him have just a moment to pause and think about that. Uh, the woman said, the kitchen isn't right. And the man thinks, I just bought this house, and she wants me to get a new one because she doesn't like the kitchen. And it goes off the deep end. If you just stop and ask what she meant, uh, honey, you said the kitchen wasn't right. Did you mean you don't like the house? And she'd say, no, I, I just said the kitchen isn't right. If you'd add three pantry shelves, it would be fine. That's 30 bucks instead of 90000 Just by restating, we can do that. Instead of acting in anger, reacting, stop and talk. E, express some form of comfort. Oh, guys, when we hear stories sometimes, you could just tell a friend, that's crazy and you need to shape up. Couldn't we? Or don't ever do this to your husband. Don't ever say, you're just a big baby. Oh, my goodness. That flies in the face of everything that a man wants to be. Give comfort. Go ahead and say things like, I'm sorry that this hurts you. I know you feel bad. Those statements can be true from you, can't they? Even if you see their error, you can be gentle and comforting, and you might get the opportunity to show them some things. <clears throat> the Bible tells us, comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which you yourself have been comforted by God. In other words, give to them what God gave to you. And in, never look at your watch when somebody's talking to you. <clears throat> Pretty good hint right there husband does little things that makes me think maybe he isn't listening and Charles Lowry helped me with that and I needed to hear it he said men fidget they do keys fingernails whatever he isn't fidgeting because he doesn't want to listen to you he fidgets just because he's a man they grew up fidgeting and grown up they like to play softball and bowling and golf and games where they can fidget men are more comfortable if we'll just let them do it they can talk better while they fidget why do so many men play golf? Well, because it's better than Prozac. They get out there for four and a half hours, and, you know, a golf spring only takes a, a swing only takes a fraction of a section. I can, I'll talk here right in a minute. A golf swing takes a fraction of a second. They only hit the ball a few times all afternoon. What are they doing out there for four and a half hours? Well, they're fidgeting, and that's how men talk. Fidget, talk, talk, fidget, fidget, talk, fidget. Well, women can talk, 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 can't we? Men generally can't. Maybe wives should take up golf so they can finally talk to their husbands. I also learned this from him. Every man wants to be a hero to his woman. He will never tell you that, but it's what he wants. So don't put him down. Nabal wanted to be king of his castle, and I think that guy was just a little 10-year-old boy in a man's body. He, Nabal wanted his way. He wanted to keep all his toys. Nabal didn't play fair. Nabal was no hero, but the fact is he wanted to be the king of his castle. The way to a man's heart is not the kitchen, thank you, Lord. 
It is through his ego. He wants you to honor him, to think he's best. And why? Why we raise him that way, girls. Think what you did to your little boys when they were two years old, three years old, four years old. We taught him to do this, right? Feel my muscle. Feel my muscle. Oh, you're so strong. Oh, you're so good. Feel my muscle. They get to be five years old. They're better at it. Feel my muscle, Mom. They really think they've got one. Oh, you can run so fast. We encourage them with that. Oh, so proud. And then a change happens when they're about 16 or 17. They, uh, they, we start complaining. We say, uh, you didn't clean your room. You didn't take out the trash like I told you to. You didn't do your homework. Yeah, but feel my muscle. Do you see what I did out there on the track field? Oh, yeah, but you're not doing this and you're not doing that. Well, right there is where that man starts looking for another woman. <laughs> and he finds one. When they'll say, oh, yeah, you are the greatest, the high score at the ball game last night. Oh, you are so wonderful. And he's saying, yeah, I want to feel my muscle. You know, pretty soon there's a wedding. This is great, but if we're not careful after a while, we can start acting like that other lady. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. You don't. And we say in, in effect without really saying it, would you please feel my muscle? If you're not careful, they start looking for another woman. Now, there is never a legitimate excuse. Never. But men don't usually have affairs because of physical needs, but because of psychological needs. If you want a man to meet your need, then you have to meet his need in a different way. And understand, he did not grow up like you. He is totally different from you. Somehow we think they are like us and they are not. He didn't grow up and say to his buddy, let's go over to your house and talk and do hair. That never happened. Men think that they need to be in control to be the man of the house. They have that within them. God set them up to be the man of the house. Men hate to admit they need help. That's why they don't want to ask for directions. They don't want to have to admit that they need help. It's a terrible thing for them. And when they finally realize that they are lost as a ball in tall weeds, they finally ask, and some woman will say, oh, well, that's easy. You go up three red lights, and you take a left, and there's a big curve there, and take the road off to the right, and see that huge tree over there, and veer to the left, and go to the right, and you'll be back on 41. And every man in America will say, thank you very much, and go back to the car. And if his wife asked, uh, did she know where we were going? He'd say, she doesn't have a clue. Doesn't have a clue. He wants to do good so you can feel his muscle. And when he gets there all by myself, that's what they want to do. Well, in closing, in the middle of the muddle of all these relationships, tell yourself every day what's really important. Little things are not. Laurie says, life is like Monopoly. You may get boardwalk or park place. But Abigail was stuck with Baltic. But after the game, everything goes back in the, in the box. And it didn't really matter. At the end of life, everything goes in the box. They call it a funeral. And the friends come and see you in the box and go eat potato salad. Just how we do it. The key to your life is to see who shows up at your box. They will line up to show love. For the merciful, the pure in heart, the lowly in spirit, the peacemakers, those who hungered and thirsted after righteousness, they will come to mourn the loss of such a wonderful friend. The same three things are important for everybody. Faith, family, friends. Newsweek reports that in New York there was a little statue on Fifth Avenue that people walked by every day, and one day an art professor had time to stop and observe it, just three feet tall, and he discovered that it was a Michelangelo masterpiece. 
and people who walked it by it 90 years on the way to the art museum, but they didn't stop and look and see its worth. I'll tell you something. There are some masterpieces in your life, and some of them are only three feet tall, but masterpieces. Lord, give us eyes to see, and God, help us with the navels that we have stuck in our lives. Would you just bow your heads for me a moment, please?